Well, good morning, Restoration Church. Pastor Kevin here. Thank you so much for tuning into this online service this morning. I am excited to be able to, to worship with you and study some scripture together. So, so thank you so much for tuning in this morning. You know, we are just right around from the fall season. And I love the fall season because I love football. Listen, I know some of you love some of those other teams. Uh, but I am a fan of the best team, the Seahawks. And as I was thinking about being a fan of a team, you ever notice how we have this tendency to glorify or make much of our team? And what that means is we want everyone to know that we like this team, that we think this team is best. We want everyone to know that we think they should like this team as well because they are the best. And so for me, what's going to happen is I'm going to talk a lot about the Seahawks. I'm going to talk about Russell Wilson and Lockett and Metcalf and Carson. I'm going to talk about this revamped secondary that the Seahawks have. I'm going to talk about Bobby Wagner. I'm going to wear my Seahawks shirt because I want you to believe what I believe about the Seahawks, that they are the best team. Now, I know some of you, you're like, I'm not into football at all. But what are you into? Because what happens is we have this tendency, all of us, to glorify and to make much of the things that we enjoy or the things that we love, the things that we are passionate about. So we can glorify and make much of our political preferences, maybe a favorite restaurant that we enjoy, maybe, maybe a favorite TV show. We, may, we make much of the things that we enjoy, the things that we love, hoping that other people will find the same joy in it that we do. Yeah, here we are as Christians. And I think the question I want to ask us this morning is, is how do we let others know that we belong to God? How do we make much of God and point others to Him so that they would come to know Him as well? You know, have you ever, you ever met that uber-religious person? You know, just that, that person that believes spiritual Christianese, where it doesn't matter what the conversation is about, they're going to be able to insert something about and spiritualize it. So you might say, man, I can't believe how hot it's been. And they'll insert and say, well, you don't even know how hot it's going to be in hell. And they just have this way of, of weaving in these spiritual conversations. I used to think, man, that is the way I need to do it. If I could just be like that and weave in some spiritual, spiritual uh, cliche, then, man, everybody will know about the one true God. So, in fact, I remember there was a time I was going to try this. And this one evening, I stopped at the pizza shop. And I noticed the lady that was helping me, the cashier, I noticed she had a little bit of a belly. And I thought, this is my opportunity. I'm going to be able to, to pray for her and be able to create this spiritual conversation that I can share God with her. So I remember I looked at her and I said, hey, uh, when are you due? And she turned and she looked at me and her eyes changed. Her eyes almost looked like she was from a Gremlins movie. And she said, I'm not pregnant. And I'm trying to cover my backside and I'm like, wait, well, aren't you Maria? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were someone else trying to cover my backside. My heart was right, but my method of trying to glorify God, of, of making God uh, being made much of, was completely ineffective in the way I went about that. So that's the question I want to ask is, how do we glorify God? How do we make much of God to the world around us? How do we share the truth of who He is? We've been in this series for the summer that we're calling Last Words as we've looked at what's called the Upper Room Discourse in John's, John chapters 13 through 17. And we're coming to the, to the end of that passage of Scripture uh, there. Jesus is done teaching. 
And now, today in John 17, Jesus is going to begin to, uh, to pray. And he's going to pray what's called the high priestly prayer. And it's called the high priestly prayer because Jesus is kind of the mediator between God and man. And he's going to begin this prayer that is just beautiful. Now, one of the things about prayer, prayer oftentimes is one of the most intimate conversations that a person can have with God. Is where we, we open up our heart to God and, 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 and so it's that very personal time. And Jesus, here in John 17, he's going to pray this prayer, but he's going to pray it out loud. He wants his disciples to hear. He wants John to hear so that under the influence of the Holy Spirit, John can record the things that Jesus prays for us to be able to see his heart as he opens and reveals his heart to God the Father. And this might make this one of the most one of the most special chapters of the entire Bible where we get to see the heart of Jesus to the Father. This, John chapter 17, this prayer is broken up in three different sections. Verses 1 through 5, Jesus prays for himself, and that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, we also see the section in, in verses 6 through 19 where Jesus is going to pray for the disciples. And finally, verses 20 through 26, where Jesus prays for you and me. And, and all of us who have come to believe in Jesus because of the witness of the disciples. And so that's the context for the scripture. And I want to invite you today, I want to invite you just to, to sit in a spirit of reverence as we listen to the words of Jesus as he opens up his heart and prays to his Father. Just sit with a, with a spirit of reverence and say, God, would you, would you speak to me in this moment through these words, through the prayer that Jesus has? So here's how, here's how Jesus starts out. The text says in verse 1 that when Jesus had spoken these words, when he was done teaching in the upper room, it says, he lifted up his eyes and he said and he prayed. He said, the hour has come to glorify the Son. You see, one of the things that we find in the book of John, the Gospel of John, is five different times throughout that book, Jesus has said, my time has not yet come. The hour has not yet come, but now... Jesus understands the sovereignty of God, understands now is the time. And so he prays and says, God, now is the time. Glorify me, glorify the Son, so that I can glorify you. Now this word glory or glorify, you're going to see it a bunch of times in this uh, passage of Scripture, in this chapter. So I want to pause for a second and give us an understanding for what this word means. The word glorify comes from the root Greek word doxa which means to have an opinion. And specifically, it means to have a positive opinion. An opinion that causes you to esteem or honor or, or make much of or, or, or worship and praise the object of the glory. And so in the Bible, when we see the glory of God, it refers specifically to God's attributes, specifically the things that make God worthy of all praise and honor and worship. So these are his attributes, such as that God is perfect in love. He is perfect in truth. He's perfect in holiness and justice. He's perfect in power and knowledge and so on and so forth. And so the glory of God is all of these attributes that make him worthy of all of our praise and honor. And so when Jesus says to glorify God, what that means is that we display the characteristics of God to other people around us to show others that he alone is worthy of all praise and honor and worship and esteem. And so this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, listen, the time has come. God, would you glorify me so that I can glorify you? And let me just, let me just ask you this. 
Listen, if you've been around Christianity for a while, where is Jesus's greatest deed? What is Jesus most praised and known for? What does he do that shows his character above everything else? Sometimes we think it's his teaching. Absolutely, Jesus was a great teacher, but there's something greater than his teaching that shows his glory. Well, maybe it was his miracles. Well, absolutely, Jesus did some amazing things, but there's still something greater. Jesus' glory is found in his sacrifice on the cross. See, on the cross, Jesus displays his perfect attributes. He displays his perfect obedience to the Father. He displays this humility where he chooses to humble himself, to give his life as a sacrifice, to take on the form of a servant. We see the love of Jesus in the cross. And so the point being, Jesus knows that that God's plan of redemption involves Jesus going to the cross, paying the penalty for our sin, being buried in the grave, and three days later, rising out of the grave victorious. And so what Jesus says, Jesus says, listen, God, I'm ready. I'm ready for that. I'm ready for you to glorify me on the cross because it's through the cross that I can bring you the greatest glory. It's through the cross that I bring you glory. It's through the cross that I show the world your character that proves that you are worthy of all worship and praise and honor and glory. So he says this again in verse 4. He says, I glorified you while I was on the earth. Referring to his, his teaching and his miracles and how he lived. Those things brought glory to him. But then he also says, I have accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus, at this point, his mind is completely set. He has submitted himself to the plans that God has prepared for him, the plan of redemption, the plan of the cross. And now it is in motion, and Jesus essentially says, listen, it's as good as done. I have accomplished the work. I'm going to do it. It is as good as done. Now, I want to be clear here. When we're talking about the cross, we're talking about the gospel. And I want to be clear what we're talking about in the cross and the gospel. The gospel says this. The gospel is the fact that Jesus lived a perfect life. He lived a life that you and I were supposed to live, but we couldn't. We are broken, sinful people. We can't be good enough for God. But Jesus lived the perfect life. And while Jesus went to the cross and he hung on the cross, he did this crazy thing. Well, simultaneously, he takes upon our sins upon himself. He takes our sin and our brokenness upon himself. And he exchanges his righteousness so that God doesn't see our sin anymore. He sees our sin on on the cross of Jesus and he sees Jesus' righteousness in our place. And and so he does this. He, He does this great exchange. And Jesus dies for that sin. He dies for our sin and experiences that separation from God. And he's buried in the grave And three days later, Jesus rises victorious. He rises and says, listen, look what I've defeated. I've defeated defeated Satan and sin and death and separation from God and hell. I've defeated all of this. And it's through the sacrifice of Jesus that you and I can be made right with God, that we can experience eternal life. And so what Jesus is saying is, is, listen, what I accomplished on the cross, the whole gospel thing that I did on the cross, this displays God's perfect character in, 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 in a better way than anything else. This shows that God is worthy of our praise and honor because of who he is. 
In fact, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about how the cross displays the perfect characteristics of God. It displays the perfect attributes of God. I mean, think about the gospel narrative. It shows us the power of God. The gospel shows the power of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says that we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to the Jews, which is foolishness to the Gentiles, but it is the power of God for salvation for those who believe. The cross, the gospel, it shows us the power of God. It also shows us God's supreme sovereignty. In fact, when we, when we read through the, the narrative of the gospel, the narrative of the cross, listen, detail after detail shows to be a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies that were made hundreds and hundreds of years ago. I mean, just a casual thing. When the, when the soldiers are dividing the garment of Jesus amongst themselves, when they're casting lots for his tunic, Listen, that was in fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. When Jesus was on the cross and the soldiers, when they broke the legs of the criminals beside him, but did not break the legs of Jesus, guess what? That was a fulfillment of a prophecy that God had made many, many, many years ago. Think about this. When Jesus is laid in the tomb of a rich man, that again is the fulfillment of a prophecy. And there's time and time and time again that we see that God's sovereignty that God prepared this plan of redemption long before it ever came to fruition. So the gospel, it shows us this, this uh, supreme sovereignty. The gospel, it shows us God's uh, perfect holiness and his perfect justice. You see, God is absolutely perfect. He's absolutely just and holy, which means he can't be around sin. I mean, scripture has said the wages of sin is death. And so through the cross, it allows sin to be dealt with. It allows the penalty for sin to be dealt with. Where Jesus, he bore the awful penalty on himself for every sinner who, who believes and trusts in him. So God's justice and his holiness is on display through the cross. And finally, through the cross, we see his love, his mercy, and his grace. Because the gospel, the cross, are for those who do not deserve it. We don't come to God saying, look at all I have to offer you. Look at all that I've done. No, we come ungodly and undeserving. And it's through his grace and his love and his mercy that he says, listen, I'm going to, to take what Jesus did in your place. And it's because of my love and my mercy. And the point of this being, for Jesus, for him to go to the cross was the greatest way for him to bring glory of God, the glory of God, to, to prove to the world that he, God alone is worthy of all of our honor and praise and glory and esteem and worship and all of these things through the cross. In fact, this text continues uh, and deals with this idea of the gospel. Uh, Jesus, he prays and says, uh, he says, the Son may glorify the Father. In verse 2, he says, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you've given him. See here, Jesus, as he's praying, he's highlighting this profound authority that God has given him. That he has the ability to give eternal life to all of those whom God has given. And see, this may be one of the hardest parts of the gospel for us to understand. One of the hardest parts of salvation is the fact that that we actually don't choose God. We don't choose to follow him. We don't choose him first. No, he chooses us. God set his sights upon us. He pursues us. He draws us into faith. He draws us into a relationship with him. See, what Jesus is saying is that God, in his great sovereignty, 
which is often so difficult for us to understand. Jesus is saying that God has set his sights on us, that God has given Jesus the authority to give eternal life to those whom the Father has given him, those who the Father chose before the foundation of the world, according to Ephesians chapter 1. So there's this, this, uh, this radical authority uh, that the gospel gives to Jesus. And not only does he have this authority for eternal life, but Jesus is going to describe for us what eternal life is. It says in verse 3, he says, This is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God, and they would know Jesus Christ, whom you sent. See, here's a little secret for you. Eternal life is not living forever. That is the result of eternal life. Eternal life at its core is a relationship with the one true God. It is, it is actually knowing the one true God. And Jesus, when he says that you would know the one true God, he's not talking about this general uh, knowledge, this general idea of, of who God is. I mean, I would say about me that before I became a Christian, I had a general knowledge of God. I'd picked up the Bible. I'd prayed before. I had this general knowledge of God. But man, when God called me into a relationship with him, when I placed my faith in Jesus, that knowledge transformed from an intellectual knowledge of knowing there's a God somewhere out there and I'm supposed to try and appease him to actually having a personal relationship with him. And it was completely different. My life changed because I moved from this intellectual knowledge to a personal relationship with him. And I just have to ask this question. Listen, if you're, as you're listening today, do, do you have a personal relationship with God? Do you know Him personally? Or do you just have an intellectual knowledge of who He is? Here's the last verse in our text today, verse 5. Jesus says, Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. See, if you're one of those people that, like me, who likes to write in your Bible, next to verse 5, would you write Philippians chapter 2? In Philippians chapter 2, it gives us insight to what Jesus just said. Philippians 2 says that Jesus was, uh, was in the form of God. That when Jesus came to the earth, he was literally God in the flesh. Which means he had the characteristics of God. He had the power, the sovereignty, the knowledge. He had these, these things within himself. But verse 7 of Philippians chapter 2 says that Jesus emptied himself of the outward visible glory of God, taking on the form of a, of a man, taking on the form of a servant. Essentially what Jesus did is he, he veiled the visible glory that, that, that God had, that, that, that he has because he's God. He veiled it. So he wouldn't look like God, he would look like a man. And now as Jesus is about to complete the work that, that God had prepared for him, as he's about to glorify God through the gospel on the cross, he prays and says, God, would you remove that veil? He prays and says, God, I want to return to your presence. I want to experience that visible glory that I've experienced since the beginning of the world, since the foundations of the world were set, saying, I want to go back to your presence and experience that visible glory. Man, when we look at this text, I think the goal for Jesus, he's trying to figure out, how do I glorify God? How do I make the most of God? How do I reveal God so others would, would worship him and honor him and praise him and, and glorify him? And how does Jesus do this? Very simply, he does it through the sacrifice, through the death, through the resurrection, through the gospel account. 
As Jesus gave himself over to the gospel, that is how God was most glorified. And here you and I are, are, and we're in the year 2020, and we're wondering, how do we glorify God? How do we reveal God to those around us? So they would know that we worship him, so they would know that he is worthy of our worship and honor and praise and esteem and all of those things. Is it through our moral living? Is it because we don't smoke and chew and we don't go with girls who do? Well, that's a part of it. Is it because uh, through our religious devotion, because we go to church, because we pray, because we read the Bible? That's a part of it. But what Jesus, what his example is trying to show us, that God is most glorified when you and I, when we root our lives in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is when God is most glorified. That is when people will know who he is because the gospel has taken root in our lives. So how do we do that? How do we allow the gospel to take root in our lives? I've got two simple ways for you to do that this week. The first one is we need to learn to make Jesus the hero of our story. I mean, think about about your life. I mean, the world teaches us that we are our own heroes. We make our story, our life, all about me. In fact, most of us, we view ourselves in that light. We think, well, I'm a good person. Like, I'm a pretty good person. When I struggle, when I have a difficult time, well, I say, well, I'm just misunderstood. Or someone else did this and caused me to respond that way. It's their fault. What we're trying to do is we're trying to glorify ourselves. We're trying to make ourselves the hero of our story. But listen, if, 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 if God is going to be the hero of my life, I think one of the things we have to be comfortable doing is acknowledging our brokenness, being honest about our struggles and our faults. I mean, like most, I am incredibly talented at justifying my bad habits. You see a bad habit in me, I have an excuse for why that is there. I mean, I find myself, I can be moody at times, and it's easy for me to blame other people instead of acknowledging that I have a selfish nature that still rears its ugly head in my life. There are times when I start dealing with with, with anger, when I'm disrespected. But it's easy for me to blame the person doing the disrespect instead of acknowledging, you know what, I was wrong. I was angry in that moment. You see, when when you and I, when we can begin to acknowledge our brokenness, when when we can be honest with our faults and our sins, it creates room for the gospel to take root and begin to redeem those areas of our life. In fact, there's a pastor by the name of Steve Cuss, who's a pastor in Colorado, and he wrote a book, a leadership book addressing chronic anxiety. And he says that when we can be honest with our faults, we're going to be honest with our brokenness. He said, there's a line I want you to repeat that helps the gospel take root to to overcome these issues. The line is this, Jesus died so I don't have to blank anymore. When we can be honest with our faults, we can say this line. So for me, I say, Jesus died so I don't have to get angry when I feel disrespected anymore because Jesus has died to continually show me his respect. Jesus died so I don't have to allow selfishness to rule my life anymore. Now I can give my life for others in the way that Christ has given his life for me. And so what happens is as we begin to see the gospel taking root in our lives, as we can be honest with our struggles, as we can invite the gospel to redeem those broken parts, listen, we can begin to tell our story through the lens of God. See, so many times what we do is we tell, uh, the, tell our story where we make ourselves a hero. 
Well, look at all these things I've had to overcome. I've had trauma to overcome, adoption to overcome, uh, the death of my dad. I have all these things. Look how far I've come. Look at all that I've accomplished. But if we begin to understand and root our lives in the gospel, pretty soon we can allow God to be the hero. Or instead of no longer is it's, look how far I've come, it's, look what God has done in my life. Look how he has carried me through. Look how he has strengthened me. Look how he has redeemed these broken areas. And God has become the hero of my story. Listen, it's really a simple change in our mindset. Where we make God the hero of our lives instead of ourselves. And when we do that, God is glorified. The gospel gets spread because people can see, listen, if I, if I worship that God, he can change my life just like he's changed yours. The second thing, second thing I think we can do to root our lives in the gospel and I'll glorify God in our lives is to recognize that our faith is more about a deeper relationship with God than it is just our religious devotion. Our faith is more about a deeper relationship and, 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 and personal relationship with God than it is just our religious devotion. See, it's so amazingly simple for us to uh, simplify our faith to our religious devotion. We go to church on Sunday, I read my Bible, I pray, I give into the offering, I help an old lady across the street, I sponsor a child in a developing country, I adopt a child, I do these things, and these things are good. But how is God most glorified? He's glorified when we root ourselves in the gospel. And Jesus said this, Jesus said, this is eternal life, knowing God personally and having a relationship with him. Which means that when we want God to be most glorified, it's not because we have this religious devotion, it's because we have this intimate, close, personal relationship with God. Which means that we begin to share our hearts, that we listen to his heart. We're no longer as God a taskmaster that we're trying to please. No longer as God a genie in a bottle that we're trying to rub just the right way to get what we want from Him. But now we have this relationship. We think about the relationship we have with our spouse or, or a child or a parent whom we love. Someone we love, we want to please. We want to honor. We want to, to, to make happy. We want to make proud. And when we understand our faith is much more about having this relationship with God than it is just having a taskmaster, man, it makes all the difference in the world. It makes all the difference in the world. There becomes this joy that comes out of our life and out of our faith. There becomes this contagious joy that others say, man, you seem to have such a good relationship with God. I want some of that. And that is when God becomes glorified in us and through us. So I love you guys and I'm excited for what God can do in us. I'm excited that we get the chance to, to look at these words of Jesus as he, he prays to his Father. And I want to challenge you this week. Will you glorify God by rooting your life in the gospel? Would you make God the hero of your story? Would you be honest with your brokenness? Would you invite the gospel to redeem the broken parts of your heart and of your life? And would you pursue a relationship with God as opposed to just religious devotion? Let me pray for us. God, I want to thank you for just the opportunity to hear these words. God, to hear this very personal time between you and God. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us in it. 
God, I pray that you would help us to understand as, as we're here today trying to say, God, how do we glorify you? How do we make much of you? God, I pray that you help us to understand it's rooted when we place our faith in you. That God, when we place our faith in you, when we became a Christian, we became a new creation, God, you are glorified then. And as we continue to allow the gospel to take root in our lives and as you redeem the broken parts of our life, God, you are continually glorified. You are made much of. And so, Lord, I pray that you give us the ability not to root our lives in busyness and, and, and all the things that we can focus on, but, God, we would root our lives in what you've done for us. That, God, we will allow you to take resident in our heart, to redeem our broken things, to change us from the inside out. God, I pray that we would pursue a relationship with you more than just religious devotion. God, I thank you for the example of Jesus. I thank you for him going to the cross and making a way. I thank you for all that means for us, that we can have eternal life, that we can have a relationship with you, not because of what we've done, not because we're awesome, not because we've earned it, but because of your grace and love and mercy. So Lord, I pray that today we'd be able just to, to worship you because God, you are worthy. We look at the gospel, we look at Jesus' life, and we see, God, you are worthy of all glory and honor and praise. And I pray, God, that others would be able to look at our lives and see the same thing. We love you, God. Thank you for meeting us here today. We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.